It's episode 60 of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, and for this edition, this podcaster finds himself in downtown Dayton, Ohio, at the Loft Theater, to interview director Margaret Perry and actor Brian Dykstra of the play Banned from Baseball, the story on Pete Rose's permanent ban, premiering to the world on September the 6th. Also in episode 60, we'll give you the week two scores of high school football in the local Sunday sports area. Welcome to the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the local Sunday sports podcast. In this weekly podcast, Lee W. Mowen brings the sports world of Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio to you, the listener. Visit the LeeWMowen.com, spelled T-H-E-L-E-E-W-M-O-W-E-N, to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and the links to follow along on social media. Music is provided by FreeStockMusic.com. And now, for the latest edition on everything Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports, here's Lee W. Mowen. And a pleasant new week to one and all. Hopefully your Labor Day weekend was A-OK. As now it's time to bring you football scores from Southwest Ohio. And guess what? College football just started, so we got a couple of those scores packed in. But first, high school scores. We'll start with the non-Friday scores. As Alter rebounds from their week one loss to Fairmont by defeating Thurgood Marshall 51-6. In a close game, Sydney edges Bell Fountain 31-28. And a battle of Cincinnati and Dayton, Hughes comes out on top against Opponents Tech, 8-6. to Now for your Friday games, and if you follow me on Twitter, that's at the Lee W. Mowen, you notice that I never got around to listing the high school football scores for Week 2. Well, some of these got postponed till Saturday, some of them Saturday morning. I think one got pushed to Saturday night, and I never got around to it, so I'm sorry if you... Look forward to that on my Twitter feed. So first up for Friday games on week two, Prabhul Shani travels to West Alex to defeat the Panthers of Twin Valley South 30-15. to Fort Recovery edges Valley View at home 27-23. St. Henry wins 62-0 over Eaton and the Eagles. Edgewood with a 28-9 win over Franklin. Tri-County North picks up their first win of the year as the Panthers beat the Ansonia Tigers 34-21. Milton Union with a 14-6 decision over Oakwood. Tri-Village with a 27-19 win. Patriots defeat the Dixie Greyhounds. Milltown Madison 46, Reading 0. Miamisburg 2-0 on the year. Vikings 24, Olentangy 14. National Trail 2-0 as well as the Blazers defeat Arcanum and the Trojans 6-3. The Golden Eagles of Bellbrook with a 42-0 decision against Fairborn the Skyhawks. Wayne with a 42-6 win against the Christians of Faith Academy in Columbus, known as the Ironmen on the gridiron. North Mob with a 24-21 win over Fairmont. 
Kenton Ridge 44, Carlisle 0, Lakota West 20, and Centerville 14. The Elks are 0-2 to start off 2018. Lebanon 15, Loveland 13, a close battle down south towards Cincinnati. Coldwater welcomes in Clinton Massey, and the Cavaliers get a 31-28 win at home against the Falcons. Minster 39, Covington 26, Troy Trojans 21, Xenia Buccaneers 14, Piqua wins 26-6 against Lima Senior, Fort Loramie with a 45-29 decision over Madeira, Benjamin Logan edges West Liberty Salem 30-29. Bethel with a 41-7 win over Dayton Christian. Troy Christian takes it to Bradford 42-0. Anna 48, Brookville 27. Carroll defeats Beaver Creek 25-24. Kenton with a 49-13 win over Salina. For sales 47, Delphos Jefferson 14, and Lima Central Catholic 20, Delphos St. John's 10. Miami East 52, Lehman Catholic 21. Urbana puts a 62 on the board against Meadowdale's 30. New Bremen 48, Mississinawa Valley 8. Northwestern defeats Northeastern 42 to 12. St. Mary's Memorial 49 against Ottawa Glandorf 6. Marion Local defeats Patrick Henry 42 to 7. Mechanicsburg 42, Riverside nil. Simeon Career Academy out of Illinois defeats Trotwood Masson 33-6. Graham defeats Southeastern 27-14. Spencerville puts up 28 points to Parkway's 21. Springfield edges Fairfield 15-14 as the Indians cannot go 2-0 on the season. Tippecanoe rebounds from their week one loss to Bellbrook by defeating Springfield Shawnee 38-7. Greenville with a 49-19 win against Stebbins. Vandalia Butler 49, Tecumseh 28. Wapakoneta takes it to Van Wert 42-12. Holgate 19, Waynesville Goshen 8. Greenview 40 to Waynesville 8. Northridge 28, West Carrollton 27 in the Battle of Polar Bears and Pirates. Oak Hills 49, Dunbar nil. Greenan 41 to New Miami's 10. Lima Perry defeats Allen East 40-28. Fairbanks 27, Indian Lake 12. Triad with a 61-point win against Ridgemont, 63-2. Upper Scioto Valley 48, Corey Rawson 41. Little Miami defeats Western Brown 49-21. Miami Valley Christian Academy defeats Manchester 58-0. Frankfurt 64, North College Hill 6, Summit Country Day 45, Cincinnati College Prep Academy 0, Wilmington defeats Miami Trace for the Hurricanes' first win of the year, 38-7, Finneytown 31, Gallatin County 8, Fayetteville defeats Jefferson Township 60-0, Paint Valley takes down Williamsburg 57-7, Princeton with a 36-6 win over Withrow, Roger Bacon defeats Western Hills 27-0. Muller takes down Trinity out of the Louisville, Kentucky area 21-17. Elder takes down Indianapolis Cathedral 39-34. East Central defeats Harrison 49-17. Colerain edges St. X 14-12 Cardinals win. New Richmond 34, Taylor 14, McNicholas 14, Norwood 7. Milford takes down Dixie Heights, Kentucky 50-14. Hamilton Baden with a 38-7 win over nearby Oxford, Talawanda. Indian Hill 47, Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy 21. Springboro takes down Middletown 42-26. Wyoming 14, Taft 12. Marymount 14, Blanchester 6. Winton Woods defeats West Claremont and the Wolves 42-14. 
Hamilton Ross turns away Monroe, 42-7. to Turpin, 28. Northwest, 9. Walnut Hills, 40. Aiken, 6. Bethel Tate takes down St. Bernard Elmwood Place, 53-30. to Cedarville takes down East Clinton, 18-14. to Deer Park with a 28-0 win against Clark Montessori. And Bactavia defeats Gamble Montessori, 41-13. Sycamore flies over Mount Healthy, 28-12 over the Owls. Hillsboro 26, Goshen 7, Lachlan Panthers 30, Hillcrest 6, LaSalle takes down Mason 34-21, Purcell Marion 35, Schroeder 13, Kings with a 27-24 win against Lakota East, Chaminade Julian 41, Cincinnati Woodward 19, Anderson 36, Hamilton 31, Claremont Northeastern 14, Eastern 0, Cincinnati Country Day edges out Riverview East Academy 25-22. As we head across the state border to Indiana, week three scores. Greensburg 34, Connorsville 12, Northeastern 24, Winchester 20, and Hagerstown 14, Union City 6. Both the Northeastern Indiana Knights and the Hagerstown Tigers are 3-0. and Actually, 2-0 to start off the year. Arsenal Tech 32, Richmond 7, Red Devils now 1 and 2 on the year. Shenandoah 40, Centerville, Indiana 7, Tri 13, Lincoln 12, and Knightstown 34, Union County 28. College scores look something like this. The Dayton Flyers defeat Robert Morris 49-28, Elizabeth City State 19, Central State 10, Wilmington in the Battle of the Quakers takes down Earlham 49-7, number 14, Wittenberg, 34, Westminster, 21. Marshall holds off a furious Red Hawk rally, 35-28, the Thundering Herd win. Cincinnati takes down Chip Kelly's UCLA Bruins, 26-17. Mount St. Joseph's with a 59-21. Mount St. Joseph's with a season-opening 59-21 win against the Capital Crusaders out of Columbus. University of the Cumberland 65, Cincinnati Christian 0, Urbana 21, West Liberty 19, and North Carolina Wesleyan 35, Thomas Moore 28. That's your scores from week two in the Ohio high school football scene. Also week one scores for college football. Figured it'd be nice to add the college touch in there as well. And now, without further ado, episode 60 from the Loft Theater. episode 60 of the gem on the queen's crown and this podcaster finds himself in the loft theater in downtown dayton ohio this is something quite new for myself i'm here with director margaret perry and actor brian dykstra who's going to be playing pete rose in band from baseball uh margaret brian thank you for joining me giving me your time here today oh you're welcome we're happy to do it our Um, pleasure I'll put it that way. <laughs> very, very excited. Thank you for the opportunity. Like I said, this is something new that I've never done the podcast. It's always been about, you know, sports, what you see. But this this is banned from baseball. It's the play talking about Pete Rose's band in the late nineteen eighties from MLB. And Margaret, how long have you been directing? 
Wow. I, um, I've been directing 25-ish years. I graduated from grad school uh, uh, with a degree in directing, and I've been doing it ever since. And Brian, how long have you been acting? Uh, about 35 years or so. Um, what, who was it? Um, John Gilgood said it takes 20 years to learn to be an actor. And when I hit the 20-year mark, I knew what he meant. <laughs> how long have you two been directing and acting? Together, is that? Um, just in your individual careers and together, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I met Brian in the early 90s, and I've done about... I'd say 15 plays with him. He's also a brilliant playwright, and um, I've directed plays that he's written as well. Um, and I haven't gotten to do a play like this with him. I've I've watched his performance as LBJ in All the Way. I watched his performance as Mark Rothko in Red. And when I saw him do a reading of this play in New York about four years ago, I knew that I had to bring it to Kevin Moore at The Human Race because I couldn't imagine a better play to premiere this play and I couldn't imagine a better actor to be playing Pete Rose than Brian Dykstra. Well. <laughs> you, you think you think this part of Ohio is a good place for a Pete Rose play? I do. I think uh -huh. it's a really good place for That's a Pete shocking. Rose play. You got a hardcore group of Cincinnati Reds fans in the Sunday area. I mean, with the Dragons being the single-A affiliate of the Reds, too, that, that also helps. And you're in downtown Dayton. I mean, the theaters here are marvelous. I remember in high school, part of Muse Machine, we come down here, and it was great. I always look forward to that. Yeah. The Human Race is one of the top regional theaters in the country, in my opinion. I absolutely think what they're doing here is brilliant, and I think more people need to know about it because they're doing fabulous work. You mentioned it's the Human Race uh, company. What's it like working with these fine folks? Well, they have the best designers just unbelievable. I mean, Heather Powell, she thinks I'm obsessed with her because I am obsessed with her. But, um, you know, people always overlook property design, you know, all of the stuff the actors have to touch and all the things that actually live on the set and make it real. And Heather is the best in the business. And the attention to detail, if you come to see Band from Baseball, you are going to see authenticity in the world around you. And it's really fabulous. Um, Jay Bruner, who's my uh, sound designer on this, is is spectacular as well. And he and I recently sat together in the studio with Marty Brenneman, who is going to be doing the voice of the sportscaster in Band from Baseball. And not only was it a fantastic session, but we also heard many, many stories about Pete Rose, and that was just a treat. I was going to mention that a little later on, but Marty Brenneman lending his voice to Band from Baseball, that's huge. I mean, who knows Reds baseball like Marty? He's been there since the 70s, I think 45 years with the Reds. It's Yeah, I think 73, 74 was when he started with the Reds, yeah. And so he saw Pete through you know, they're they're really good friends. He he's in touch with Pete now. I mean, they're they're tight and so um, I'm just delighted that he read the script. He didn't want to do anything that he thought was going to be unfair to Pete. So he read the script. He called Kevin back and said, I think the script's really fair, and I'd love to be involved with it. When uh, I got to go in and see the stage, I mean, you just feel like it's at Synergy or Riverfront back then. You just feel that vibe coming forward. So whoever did the set in there, 
A plus job. That's beautiful. Tammy Honesty is a brilliant set designer, and we went through many, many uh, iterations of this until we came up with the design that you see. And her um, her instinct, which I think was totally right, was to have the audience walk into the theater and feel Riverfront Stadium. And so we've tried to capture that, and I think she's done a brilliant job with it. And also Janet... Powell, who is our costume designer, has just done an amazing job um, rendering the look of that time period as well. And so, you you had asked me what I what I enjoy about the human race, and it's just the team of artists that they put on a project. Just it's just the best. Uh, pardon my bad pun, but you know, great bunch of humans, part of the race. So <laughs> that's why they named that. Oh my goodness! No, no, I'm sorry, um, Brian. What's it like acting? Uh, well, it's really fun. You know, they call it a play. So you're, if you're not playing, then figure out something else to do. Um, I just have a ball doing it. Uh, there is a reality about getting older that means you're working harder to learn your words. Because it doesn't stick in your brain like it used to. But, uh, you know, once you, I used to say that rehearsal was really fun and then, and then playing the play was sort of stasis. Now I feel like rehearsals work and playing the play is really fun. So uh, at least the fun is still there. It just moved a little bit. So you think that um, uh, the the fun when getting older, I mean, I know the lines become more difficult, and I see that all the time with, with actors of a certain age, but don't the roles become better? Aren't the rules more juicy? They become more interesting generally, but I've been a character actor my whole life, so they haven't really gotten much juicier for me. They they come more often because there's less of us as – I mean, I, it sounds like I'm 140. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm 58. <laughs> so um, You don't uh, look 58. Why, thank you. Uh, neither do you. Uh, oh, you're not. Um, oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean – uh, if there's less of us, or or even, or maybe that's not even true. Maybe there's more of us doing more film and TV at this age. <laughs> well, I can. T- I mean, I'm, look, I'm going from here to the day after we close. I'm going to Washington D.C. to play King John and at the at the Shakespeare Theater and the Folger Shakespeare Library. So that's too close. That's a monster. I, I could use a week between, but what the hell. <laughs> What's been some of your favorite roles or some of your favorite productions that you got to direct or act in or be a part of? I mean, not just Band from Baseball, which is coming up, but just your careers. Which one's been your favorite? I have two that come to mind. Um, one is a production that I did here last fall called The House by Brian Parks, uh, which I recently was um, took it to London and then to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland. And it is a, a riotous comedy that just, I love, love, love directing comedy, just f- figuring out ways to be truthful and hilarious at the same time. It's really my, my strong suit. And I... I, I had just a ball on that play, and I want that play to continue. Uh, I mean, the, and the human race premiere of it um, was absolutely hilarious, and I enjoyed it a lot. There's another play that I haven't gotten to direct a full production of yet. It's still, I guess, it's still in development, although it's really ready to go. And that's a play that Brian wrote. It's a hip hop play called used to was maybe did and it's about selling out and racism and it is something that um it's a political 
I'd say, well, that's not a black comedy, but it's a hip hop play. It's also musical. It has a DJ, a live DJ that, that has mu- music all throughout and the whole thing is done in rap. Uh, or you could call it slam poetry, however you want to talk about that kind of language. But it is one of the, one of the, it's, it is, it is my favorite play I've ever worked on, period. Wow. Yeah. I would say it's, it's written in, uh, f- there's four characters and they all speak in their own sort of different slam poetry form. Um, so it's, it's hip hop. I don't know that I would call it rap, but there are, we, we are putting beats underneath scenes with the DJ, so. Yeah, no, it's, it's, that's fast. Uh, so, in answer to your question, <laughs> uh, the most fun I had on stage was playing Sir Toby Belch in a production of Twelfth Night. Um, I loved doing, uh, Rooster Byron in Jerusalem and, uh, Mark Rothko in Red. So these are, Red I got to do three times. Or three different. And theaters. you did it in Cincinnati. I did it in Cincinnati. At the Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park. In Ed Stern's final season. Is that true? I think so, yeah. I think so, yeah. Where all has your travels taken you? Wow. Um, You're just back from Scotland. Yeah, I'm just back from Scotland where I um, directed the house. And and I've done a couple of uh, little things in in London and Scotland. I directed a play of Brian's called Clean Alternatives uh, about environment. It's an environmental black comedy. Great play we did um, in Scotland. And, um, And basically, I just travel wherever the work takes me. So I've worked in... San Francisco and um, Ithaca. I was the resident director at the Kitchen Theater for about 10 years. So I worked there a lot. Um, and I just go wherever, all across the country. All, you know, it's just fun. You get to live in different places. Um, but well, I feel like, like I'm a little bit of a homing pigeon. I keep coming back to Dayton. Well, like migrant workers, wherever the crops are growing, we'll go pick them. Yeah, I don't think we're picking crops. Well, I know, but it's the, you, you follow the work. It's a lot more fun. <laughs> Yes, but I'm just saying the metaphor. <laughs> I don't holds. like your analogy. Okay, it's a, your metaphor is so dark. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Brian? Where's acting taking you? Well, uh, uh, where haven't I gone? I don't work much in the South for some reason. Uh, oh, I have worked in Florida a couple times. Houston, Texas. Oh, I was right. just in Houston. So maybe I'm. That's a, that's the Southwest. I think Houston is the South. That's about well, as South as you can go in this country. I know, but. But you, you so don't get San a lot Diego, of jobs. You wouldn't in... call that the South. No, that's true. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, wherever, like I said, wherever. Um, I've been to Denver and San Francisco and L.A. and Fargo, North Carolina. Does that count? Fargo, uh, North, North Dakota. Dakota. Yeah, it'd be a weird Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> we should do a TV series called Fargo, North Carolina, and try to. No, I think you just pitched it. I did, didn't. I. <laughs> it's like weird stuff happening in a barbecue joint. Um, uh, I work a lot in St. Louis uh, at, at the Repertory Theater there. At, uh, Cincinnati, as we mentioned, Vermont. You know, so all over. <laughs> What's been some of your favorite theaters you worked in? Going back to your, you know, around the globe, but just. Theaters that you can instantly picture and just you got a warm glow going through. I tell you, a friend of mine once said, for an actor, the experience is as good as the housing. So if you're in a terrible play but you have great housing, you had a good experience. (laughs) If you're in a great play and you have terrible housing, you had a terrible experience. So that being said... What, how, what was your best housing you ever had? The Alley Theater put us up at the Four Seasons in a suite. Wow. 
because someone on the board, I don't know how they worked some deal out, so it didn't cost them much. But you're, you have housekeeping and a pool. It's just ridiculous. It's four seasons. And then probably second place is the Denver Center. Most of the actors walked in, looked at the housing and went, this is so much better than my apartment in New York. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's odd to say, but those places. Yeah. And I actually love the housing here. I'm at the St. Clair Lofts. Yeah. And um it's a beautiful um apartment. Feels very very comfortable. Um so I always enjoy I always want that apartment when I come here and work cuz it's it's really fun. It, you know, I love being downtown and love being able to walk um near the Century Bar. And uh, I wasn't a whiskey drinker until I met that bar and I walked in Bourbon, but bourbon's whiskey. Yeah, I know. I wasn't a whiskey. Okay. Okay. Yes, enough. but specifically, I walked into that bar. Um, it's, all, it's right next to the St. Clair Lofts, and it was a few years ago, and I ordered a vodka martini, and I was shamed by the bartender, and he said, no. Here's what we're going to do. And he put a flight of bourbons out and proceeded to teach me all about bourbon. And um, I he gave me my first Manhattan and my first Old Fashioned. And now... And now you have three children together. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. I'm loving the bourbon. I'm loving it. Um, so, yeah. So let's get back to Banned from Baseball. Uh, we mentioned it's about Pete Rose and being permanently banned in the MLB. But... What's the timeline on this play? Where does it begin, and what's the what's the climax of it, and where does the play end in the timeline well, of Pete Rose? Right. Um, I don't think that's spoiling anything because everybody knows the story, right? So, yeah. spoiler alert if you don't know what happened to Pete Rose. Um, yeah. It starts – it's the, basically the five months leading up to his banishment. So, um, it begins in um, the spring – and it takes us, it takes us through, um, the banishment. And then eight days after the banishment, as you may or may not know, Bart Giamatti died of a heart attack. So, um, that's the timeline of the play. It does start in the present, not the present, 2014, um, with Pete. And then it flashes back to 1989. And then carries forward uh, from there. And we do have one little tiny flashback to Bart Giamatti teaching at Yale, which is a wonderful little scene. But essentially, the play is focusing on... Well, and you have the flashback to uh, Pete getting the record-breaking hit. <gasps> right, right. And that's a memory. It's a memory, right. Yeah. Which was um, sort of... You're right. We don't... Yeah, we do really have... Flashback. We just... Right. We see the It is a flashback, I guess, in a way. I mean, it depends on how you're defining flashback. You're the director. You define it. Um, (laughs) I would say I started to make it a flashback, and then the design team and the actor playing Pete. (laughs) Isn't this more of a memory? I said, oh, yeah, you're right. Let's not not try to fully render it as a flashback. There was no time to make that costume change. Yeah, no, there wasn't. (laughs) It was really a smart thing. We're not doing that. Um, But it is a very emotional moment. You know, it covers. So so it was important to have that in. And... um, but I think what Patricia's done is she's written this play about two men that are incredibly passionate and incredibly talented who are also, like we all are, flawed and human, you know. And so the play becomes the, about the ways in which we fail ourselves because we are human and because we are flawed. Um, and it tries very hard not to take sides. I don't think it takes sides. Um, and, and it tries to explore 
um, the points of view of both of these men. So that hopefully, I mean, I have this, this artistic director, um, um, Bill English, who uh, runs the San Francisco Playhouse, he speaks of his theater as an empathy gym. And I've gotten very attached to that idea that theater is um, a place where you sit in the dark and you watch other people, people that you might not know or might not ever meet in your life, or you get to see something inside, you know, the insides of somebody that you, you hadn't maybe thought about before and maybe creates a little empathy. So if you're on the side of Pete, maybe you'll come out feeling a little empathetic towards Bart's point of view. And if you're on the side of Bart, maybe you'll come out feeling a little more empathetic towards Pete's point of view. And we, I hope that's what happens. Um, it's not like we could use more empathy in these times. Oh, wait. No, I guess we could. Go, go ahead. Can you please continue. <laughs> I'm just here. Yeah, you're here. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so I think that's... Um, I was going to say something else. Now I don't know. I that's because I, th- I threw you off. Well, that's all right. Go ahead. Do you have a thought? You on didn't it? lose your train of thought. I I was the train. I ran you over. <laughs> wow. What was the question? Uh, the timeline of the time. Oh, yeah. No, you answered that. I covered that. Yeah. And pretty much it's you're giving another aspect to it. Like people, you know, people in Cincinnati love Pete Rose, but outside the Reds market, mm, really depends but you're giving everyone a little taste of hey this is why bart did this or hey this is you know pete's side yeah. so yeah and well, the play I, imagines I, I, it, oh you want to go ah, i found turn. my the, i found the piece of the it's train that turn. you ran over no, go ahead um i feel like it's all <laughs> although what i was going to say oh yeah <laughs> um it's interesting because uh um uh, patricia runs a class uh, called something about baseball and literature and culture and you, baseball and American literature and culture. Okay. Well, that's what, whatever it's called. Uh, she has a class <laughs> at Franklin and Marshall college. And it, you say that outside of Cincinnati, it's sort of not as, uh, there's not as many people supporting Pete, but she runs a pool every year or she, she polls the class every year, and, which sounds painful. And, um, uh, she says, um, dear, dear keep this yeah, PG 13, Brian Dykstra. Edit that. Um, uh, well, she asks the class, like, what do you, who's, side are you on? And she says for years, you know, it tilts a little bit, but it's around 50-50 in, in, a, in a college in uh, Pennsylvania. So uh, it's not as, um, it's, it's, it's quite polarized and fairly even, even outside of Ohio. Anyway, now you were going to say? Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say that, that the play. You haven't forgotten again? No, I haven't. Okay, I, no, somehow I kept on to that idea. It's just that the play, ta- we've tried to stay very true to the historical facts, but the play imagined scenes, we couldn't actually know what happened because they were behind closed doors, right? So Patricia is imagining, uh, what that, what those moments were all about. And so I think that's something that's really fun about, about seeing the piece. That's it. That was the whole extent That's of my... That's the whole thing? That was, it's nothing you, brilliant. It geez. was just... I was just thinking about... You wanted about, to get that in, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, I was just thinking about how you can't... Let's try not to be the fawns. Oh. Friends that have a podcast. And They're very funny. Spins. We can hope to be the fawns. Oh, well, They're I know, but not, not the annoying part, just okay. the funny part. Oh, I can't wait to send this to Tommy. You better. <laughs> so, why a production? Why a play about Pete Rose being banned in, from 1989? Why in 2018 about Pete Rose's ban? Wow, that's a great question. Um, it's, uh, but it's also kind of a playwright's question, so it's hard for us to answer. But uh, but you're going to try. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, because she started writing it, she started writing it about 15 years ago. That was the initial inspiration. I came along about four years ago when I saw a reading of it, and have um, I was just 
I was just fascinated by Pete. I just thought he was a great character and I just wanted to explore more. And I, and I, um, asked Patricia if, if I could join the team and, and I knew ultimately I wanted to bring it here to Kevin. So, uh, we, we continued to work on it, but as you work on something, it becomes present time, right? And so I think things for Patricia that, that are going on in the country and in our culture and in our politics today started to sort of infect her, her mind as she was um, creating this character. And um, to, uh, I, um, I hesitate to say this, but I'm going to say it. Uh-oh. Um, there are um, things happening in our culture right now where our leaders may be a little hubristic and there may be a little bit of hubris, hubris in Bart Giamatti. There may be a little bit of hubris in Pete Rose. Um, and I think that's something that, that reflects back. And if we learn a little bit about that, maybe we learn what the, how damaging that can be to ourselves if we, we aren't humble and graceful. How's that to stay away from politics? Yeah, not to mention any names or anything. No. Hey. <laughs> no names. I'm fine with that. You know, there, it seems to me that there are very few American tragedies you don't sort of think about high i mean in the classic sense of high-born characters that fall pete rose and bart giamatti have a sort of tragic air about them and pete even now you'll hear him talk or you'll watch him talk and there's a there's a there's a sense of of an American dream that got leached away or a, a, a promise that was made to a, an athlete that got everything out of his talent that has been stolen and you from him, from his point of view. And it's sort of oddly tragic. So maybe that's why that's still... Because it, st- you still see it in his demeanor. So I think maybe that's why it still matters now because Pete's still with us and still suffering and the story really doesn't have an end right it's a story without an end we don't know what the end of the story will be that's a very good point i mean what if pete rose never got banned i mean he'd be in the hall for sure he's the hit king and he did it clean you're yeah. coming into the baseball age where steroids are you know there's some people who think the people doing the steroids should get in the hall and there's other people saying no keep him out keep him far out like barry bonds being probably the Prime example. I don't know. Why can't the Hall of Fame just have a giant section that's just a giant asterisk and then put all that stuff in there? It's part of baseball history. You know, why does it have to be so clean? We're not clean as humans. We are flawed. And that, and, and by, by trying to keep it so pure, you're not actually acknowledging that there's flaws. Well. (laughs) I actually love that idea. No, I like it too, but is it fair to Hank Aaron? For Barry Bonds to be recognized, if Barry Bonds cheated, let's let's start with right. that premise. If, yes. if he cheated, is it not unfair to Hank Aaron to lose his title? No, I don't think Her- Hank Aaron loses his title. I think but if that Bond- there's no there's a there's a separate section that's the asterisk section. Yeah, but you but the problem there is you can't prove. We know Barry Bonds cheated. <laughs> Sorry, Barry. Please don't sue me. We know Barry Bonds cheated. We feel R- strongly. R- we feel R- strongly. Don't sue me, Barry. I'm just a podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. No, we're just... We this, don't know this anything. This is an opinion show. <laughs> yeah, we don't know anything. But just... Well, we know Clinton got... Well, I can't say that. On okay, <laughs> no. So, anyway. So, but, but, but Barry... But why can't all of that information, that history, that story be there? 
It's, yeah. it's because Barry Bonds would be in the Hall of Fame oh, no regardless question. of whether he did steroids or not. He would be in the Hall of Fame. He yeah, would still be a great player and he would yeah. be in the Hall of Fame. I, it's yeah. just the record doesn't count. You just put him in there, though. Yeah, but he actually, the weird thing is he had. And put Shoeless Joe Jackson in the, there the as well. The weird thing is Come he on. holds the record. He just isn't in the hall. The only thing that, the only way to punish cheaters is to keep them out of the hall. They don't take, they don't strip the records. They just don't, they just don't honor you in the club because there's a clause about, what is it, citizenship or being a good. There's, there's some clause. Maybe I should start my own Hall of Fame called the Asterix Hall of Fame. Maybe people would come to that. Y- Pete Rose how, would come to that. Depends on how you spell asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. It's just, it's just a, the asterisk. It's just the asterisk. The, the asterisk. Symbol. The symbol. Just a symbol. It's just the a symbol. symbol. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. 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 Right. Just the hall. I I like that idea. I mean. You can teach, you know, younger generations that might not learn about Barry. What about Bonds? the Hall of Shame? No, that's a different thing. No one's going to go to that. <laughs> I probably would. No, I mean, but Pete's not going. And no, Barry's no, not going. that's no true. No one wants to be. No, no one wants to be in the Hall of Shame. No. Okay. So, how do you make this into a play? A very dark cloud in Cincinnati Reds history. You're seeing the Hit King being banned forever. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I can't see the future. But you're seeing Pete Rose banned for a very, very, very long time. How do you turn that into something that people can watch and feel and capture with their own eyes? Uh, well, that's the playwright's job, right? And I've worked with a playwright um, to tell the story. Um, in in we we originally started, and we had lots and lots more characters. <laughs> but in order to do it in um, in an hour and a half, we had to cut people and we had to cut events. And so we're looking at a compressed period of time, and we the characters in the play are Pete Rose, Bart Giamatti. Reuven Katz, Pete, Pete Rose's attorney. Um, John Dowd, of course, can't leave him out. And uh, Faye Vincent, who was the deputy commissioner of baseball, who became the commissioner of baseball for a very short period of time, right? Two yeah, year, maybe two couple years. A couple years, right. Um, and so he was there during the banning. And, and he also a good friend of Bart's. So the play really has, it's, Reuven and Pete and Barton Fay with John Dowd mixed in there, right? Because we couldn't leave out the deposition, uh, Pete's deposition with John Dowd. And John Dowd was a strong figure in that the Dowd report. It's available online. I mean, we've read it. Patricia's read every word of it. It's quite staggering. Um, and, and it's like 300 and some pages. And so that became something that really was important. But Early on in the earlier drafts, you know, Ubaroff and um, and cronies, the, the My, uh, Mikey Bertolini and Paul Jansen are also in the show, but they're in voiceover um, on tapes. They used to be characters. Yeah, they used to be characters. And Bob Stackler had a Bob Stackler, the guy who deposed Bart. It was a scene, and you know, it just became. Yeah, because Bart wrote Bart wrote a letter, um, basically kind of supporting Paul Jansen, um, Ron Peters, Ron Peters, Ron Peters, Paul yeah. Jansen, yeah, Ron no, Peters. right? Ron Peters, keep, yeah, you're right, you're right. It was Ron me. Peters, yeah, supporting Ron Peters, who was gone up on cocaine charges, and um, about his des- testimony being truthful. And John Dowd wrote the letter. Bart Giamatti signed it, and that was the thing that uh, when uh, Reuven Katz and Pete Rose found out about that, Reuven Katz sued. Um, Bart Giamatti um, 
it wasn't even sued really, but but brought a, a suit, brought a motion, a, a motion, yeah, to, to dismiss him from the case based on bias, uh, and that really got under Bart's skin because. Bart is a man of words. He's a scholar. He's a professor at Yale. He's a man who honors the word. And there he did something kind of stupid, right? Um, it may have been the the, the, contrib- the main contributing factor that stressed him out so much that it killed him. I mean, we're, we're assuming that he wouldn't have had a heart attack anyway. But... Uh, he did smoke three packs of cigarettes a day um, and didn't yeah. eat very well. But, um, you know, but this stressor of this events clearly broke his heart. I mean, literally and figuratively. Right. But he, um, he so the Bob Stackler deposition, which was in the play, became like, what do we need this for? I mean, this is it became it was too much like a it was a really drama. good scene. Actually, it was a, it great was a scene. really good scene. Yeah. It's just it was probably hard to cut. It was hard to cut, um, but it it was you know it, it became too much courtroom sort of deposition stuff and and less about um, the men and their frailties. So um, we we cut it. Let's talk about some of the people that are involved. I mean, we got director Margaret Perry and the actor playing Pete Rose and Brian Dykstra. Who else is involved with the cast and behind the scenes? Uh, well, Patricia O'Hara, who is the playwright, and then we have all the designers we've spoken about, the fabulous team here, and of course, um, under the leadership of Kevin Moore and Tara Lale, who run the human race. And um, the then fabulous the, Doug McKechnie is playing Bart Giamatti. The fabulous Doug McKechnie. W- what else would I call him? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He um, is a Chicago actor. Somebody saw him and said, oh, how'd you get a Bart Giamatti lookalike? And we're like, he's got a beard. That's really... <laughs> but okay, fair enough. He's but, terrific. Yeah, he is terrific. Scott Hunt. And Scott Look, Hunt. Look, I remember some names. That's you pretty do. good for me. Amazing. Scott Hunt is playing Faye Vincent. And Scott Hunt, his email address used to be Charlie Hustle. And he is... I think a, it was like Charlie Hustle 2000 two something. something. Anyway, well, numbers, yeah, yeah, some numbers after he's that. But, such a Cincinnati... Reds fan and a baseball uh, n- incredibly knowledgeable about the sport of baseball and then Mark Moritz who's um, playing Reuven Katz and then KL Sto- the, fab- the fabulous Mark M- Moritz the fabulous yeah. well, is everyone fabulous well I mean we can't just call one person fabulous and then move on we well we have to change the adjectives like the, the stupendous stupendous yeah. and then you know hilariously the, funny is what I want to say hilariously funny Mark Moritz um, and then um, there is the stunning I was going to go with wildly terrific. Wildly terrific. Um, uh, KL Storer, who is playing John Dowd. And we so have to go back and give Scott Hunt a, an adjective. Oh, yes, we do. What, the, what adjective would you like to give Scott Hunt? The colossal. The colossal Scott the, Hunt. The, the, the acting colossus. The man is going to work a comb over for me, and I just... When <laughs> no, he, that's, that yeah. deserves a bonus. That does. I yeah, mean, you no, know, when true. you He's go up to hair. an actor and you say... Um, um, you know, look at these. Ba- do you? Oh, he said, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, yeah, oh, man. Oh, right man. He's, you know, he is a trooper for doing that. He's got to get a comb over for his role. He's. That's committed, right? No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 110%. He's, he's you should have seen him last hair. night in rehearsal. Oh, uh, yeah, no, and he has, no, he he has, has some hair. good looking hair. Yeah, that gone. man's got good looking hair. 
and he's going to have a coma. Whereas me, they're going to try and cut it to look kind of like Pete Rose. Then we're going to sprinkle some top. Are we still doing the topic? We we're are. We're going right? to try something. Yeah. You don't have a chance of having your hair no, like I, Pete no, Rose. No, Pete Rose is like a fuller you brush. You better on be top acting your way to Pete Rose because <laughs> your hair is cap. not going to be. Yeah. No, but we're going to thicken it up as much as we can. We're not trying to do impressions here of these people. That's a good point. But we want people. They want, we want to evoke them. You know, um, and and KL is. Um, you know, his hair is better than John Dad's hair, but if we're going to try very to, low with John Dad's John hair. Da- yeah, we're going to try to poof it out on the side so we use that horrible, you know, like extra don't, poof. John Dad, don't this was the eighties. It wasn't a good time for men's show. hair. Yeah. This is John- just a podcast about Cincinnati Dayton sports. Again, don't sue us. Yeah. <laughs> Not me. I don't have money, but also. Um, during the sound testing, while I was in there, you hear Marty Brenneman, and Marty's one of my favorite broadcasters. If I don't hear Marty's voice, it's not summer. It's not summer in Cincinnati or Dayton. you got to hear Marty to listen to baseball. So that's awesome. I love that. i got to tell you, I grew up in L.A., and leaving L.A. for New York, I miss Vin Scully so much. I mean, he's retired now, but for years I was just like, what? Where's Vince Scully? And, and, yeah, anyway, yeah, I understand. Yeah, it was, I mean, I'm it was, sure most towns have that connection with their local guy, but Brenneman's really world class. I, I, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. When we, when, um, he came to Jay's studio and, um, you know, we were all just chatting and having a good time. We sat down and I thought, oh, yeah, that's his way. Okay, yeah. And then he got at the mic and you know, I went, I mean, and Jay and I just looked at each other and Jay has, you know, tears in his eyes and I'm just Don't going, tell on Jay. Uh, well, Jay would tell on Jay because okay. it was one of those moments that, uh, you know, Tara just gave me a picture of the three of us um, working, um, doing the broadcasting and she put a little thing on the back said the legends and I was like oh yeah. yeah if I could only be like Marty Brenneman uh, in terms of being a legend but um no, it, it, you just hear his voice and it's, uh, it's brilliant. And so he was very kind and sort of, you know, went through and did all of them. And, and, and then we had the voiceover of the moment that Pete Rose breaks Ty Cobb's record, right? And Marty reads the material and he's so, you know, genuine and sweet. And he said, could I, you know, noodle around with this a little bit to, you know, make it really sound like I'm calling the game? I said, what am I going to say? No. And I don't have the playwright with me, so I thought, I hope she's okay with this. I'm thinking, if I was Patricia, yes, Marty, do your job. And so he starts calling the moment. And you could feel that he was there that night, you know, and he, it, it was, it just, it just sucks you right back in time. And I, you know, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. But boy, oh boy, um, talk about authenticity. It's just, it's just a director's dream to have something like that happen. And it was just, he was just so generous to give us his time and, and, uh, and his creativity and saying, no, you know, I'd like to do this my way. Can I do this my way? And it's, and it's gorgeous. I mean, if I have a broadcasting career half as Marty Brenneman's, I, I'm successful. That, that's it. Just, you know. Of Marty, course. Marty's the guy. I mean, that's Cincinnati mm-hmm. for you. Describe to me a day preparing for band from baseball. Uh, I look at my lines and try to remember them. (laughs) And then I, well, it's weird here because rehearsal's 6 o'clock. So trying to figure out when to eat is odd. 
so it's so, your day is sort of planned with you wake up, you look at your words, you try to work out, you cook too early, <laughs> you eat too early, <laughs> you come and do the rehearsal, you go home and have a scotch or a bourbon, uh, you look at your words and fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Margaret? That well, was really compelling. That, that was what, some compelling radio right there, or, yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah. we are. An actor prepares. Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, um, I do love yoga, so I've been going to Day Yoga, um, which is a phenomenal yoga studio for anyone that. Oh, it's cares. called Day Yoga. Day Yoga. I thought you were saying like you go to Day Yoga as opposed to Night Yoga, but. Day yoga. Okay. No, it's Dayton yoga, but it's oh, day yoga. Gotcha. Yeah. Where am I? Oh, it's a phenomenal. And I've been, I go to yoga studios all over the country when I work and this it's one of my favorites. brought to you by. Yeah. No, they're the best. They're the best. In fact, there's Are you a 1030. A discount now? No. There's a 1030 <laughs> Friday morning class, um, called Gentle Flow. Get, get you going. You better show um, up early next Friday because it's going to be packed. Be packed. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, I um I have a lot more to do because I'm responsible for every well I don't know I mean you have a yeah, lot to do how dare you madam I don't have a lot more to do I just have different things to do how's you that have more things to do yeah I have to coordinate everything right so um you know like this morning the artistic director called me because uh we put a runtime in the report last night don't mention it don't me- no because it was a, it was a mistake yeah. <laughs> and he said and i saw that on my phone kevin moore i said oh that's about the runtime <laughs> so i picked up the phone i said no 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 it's 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 all good we just made a mistake when we were uh, record when we were timing it last night um but um so it's not 3 hours and 57 minutes <laughs> no so um it's coming in at a clean 135 i hope that was Okay, good. An hour 35, just over 90 minutes. Um, but for example, after the podcast, I'm going to jump into the theater and I'm going to meet with John Renzel, the lighting designer, who I didn't mention before. Uh, he is the resident lighting designer at the Human Race, and that man is genius. He just, he can do anything with lights. And he. Does that mean we now have to put adjectives on all the designers' names too? No, now? I think we're not going to. You just went with genius. The, the electrifying. That's the electrifying, oh, John. You're the enlight the enlightening the enlightening oh much better (laughs) but you know you think about the way that lights can help tell a story it's amazing it's just you know and you you, because without them we can't see anything well that's true okay you would have to do the show in the dark or just in one like in you know but this play moves around and it moves all over the stage and so um so i have to um i have to manage that and um uh, and and also meeting with a costume designer and going over, you know, uh, right now Pete Rose has oh forty nine thousand two hundred twenty two costume changes, which we're a little concerned <laughs> That's about. That's only a slight exaggeration. Yeah, um, he's looking for costume change four one nine three. I think is the way it goes. There you go. That's a record. <laughs> that would be a record costume changes. Um, so um, you know we. I manage all of that and, um, uh, and then trying to have energy to watch the play, work with the actors, um, thinking about, I was emailing this morning, I was emailing Doug, uh, who's playing Giamatti about some ideas, um, about his character. 
So, you know, there's little things that are happening every day that depend on what the needs of the uh, show are. And it and it changes as you work through it. You know, in the beginning, it's really just rehearsal uh, and, and setting the design up. But then as it gets closer and closer to actually opening the show, it becomes more uh, more finely detailed. What's it like to be on a world premiere staff? This is first to the world, banned from baseball. What's it like being the first? You want to uh, take that? Well, one? I mean, it's it's there's no there's no more f- sort of exciting and I don't want to say fun. It is really fun. Um, there's no more exciting thing to work on, uh, and yet there's so much unknown. Like like, does it work? We won't really know until an audience sits there and tells us that they're not bored, <laughs> which they won't be. <laughs> um, but but it's there's so there's just so much unknown. So you just get to t- dip your toe in this little bit of the water and that little bit of the water and go, all right, all right, we're we're doing everything we can and let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean, not world really premieres, the answer you were looking for. No, that was great. That was great. World premieres take guts. Um, they do. They take guts for the theaters to produce them. They take guts for the playwrights to work on them. They take guts for the actors. Um, they take guts for the audience to come see them. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I, I, there's a, a, a friend of mine was uh, Ed Stern was running Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park. He said, "I'm so tired of after the world premiere, the playwright coming up to me and saying, now I know what to do with my play." It's like, yes, I appreciate that. <laughs> But how can we figure out how to get the play in the shape that it needs to be in to put it in front of this audience? And and plays should evolve, but the, the, the difficulty is how do you make the evolution happen enough in the first rehearsal process to present a play that is worthy to be seen, stage worthy. And, and, and this one is going to be, I'm very confident. Uh, sometimes that challenge is greater, uh, depending on where, you know, there's an old saying, if it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. The play better be in some kind of actable shape. Uh, sometimes it's, it's plays are in less good shape than this one is. <laughs> Yeah, and we, we were supported along the way um, with a great development process. Uh, I work uh, in New York at the Lark Play Development Center, and they gave us several workshops and readings. So we worked with various actors and then um, and workshopped the play. And, 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 and then last summer, we did a reading of it, um, two performances of just reading it with no, you know, no sets, costumes, or anything um, in front of about 100 people and really got to feel the play. But there's nothing like actually having to do it on its feet, no matter how hard you work on it uh, in that development process, still putting it up on its feet changes certain things because people are living in space in a different way, right? So it becomes really challenging. And um, you, you're responsible, as a director, you're responsible for every word that ends up on that stage and every moment. And so you're lear- you le- you do learn about it. Um, but you have to make, you have to make choices uh, to present it. But this... So there, it's tricky. It's juicy. It's it's exciting. Um, there's it's what should be happening. And like you know, where I was saying before, human beings are flawed. Plays aren't perfect either. They are flawed, and they should be allowed to live. And and we sh- want to tell new stories and fresh stories, and not just be you know pulling things uh, that have been just successful on Broadway or you know. Um, 
Another production of Carousel. Yeah. Nothing I mean, against Carousel. No, they're, Please they're, don't those, sue us. Those are, <laughs> those are worthy. But, um, but I love that the human race takes chances on world premieres. Um, they do one almost every season, and I think that should be commended and supported. And, um, and Kevin's careful, I think, too, about which, you know, what's ready and what's not ready. And this play, we, we didn't bring it to him until we thought it was ready. And it's ready. It's ready for an audience. And it's still it's evolving. And it's, yeah, and we, we made some cuts last night. We're going to make some more cuts. We're going to make some little changes. And that's exciting. Um, and, and it will be really exciting to see the very, very first audience that's ever seen this play and to have that be this audience because in some ways this audience will be tougher on this play than just doing it in you know uh, you know Spokane. some Spokane sure. sure yeah now how can people watch band from baseball how can they get tickets you mean yes they go to humantheater.org not human race theater human race theater okay. Not human theater. That no, would be really good, like else. like dog theater or cat theater. Back to the dot org. Human race, race theater dot org. Yes, you could <laughs> and just dot org. You can also, you know, the Google is always a good thing. Just Google banned from baseball tickets, and I'm sure that will come up. If mm. you can't remember, human race theater dot org dot org. Yeah, no, but you know org. what? I would say, get your tickets because this puppy's going to sell out. Oh, yeah, it's already selling well. Yeah. Now, I'm a big sports fan, but I might not have seen a lot of theater. Why should I come see Band from Baseball? Because you're a sports fan. <laughs> I like that answer. You know, if, you, if you've... And if you're not a sports fan, it's because it's a really good story. If you're not a sports fan, you're probably not listening to this podcast. Oh, that's a good point. That's, yeah. yeah. But, but, you know... But this turned into theater talk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it tr- truly. But I think this... We, this is there a crossover podcast? We could just ship it over to them. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, this is um, theater made for for by and for the sports fan. I mean, no, it is. If uh, if you have never been to the Human Race Theater Company, this is and you're a sports fan, this is the show to come to, right? Yeah, if you're I mean, not going to come to this one, if you're not, you're, you're never off. coming. You're not coming. Yeah, yeah, you're done. You're done. <laughs> you're but but you will. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's made for you. So now you kind of took my next question away. I don't like sports, but I love theater. The story. Fantastic the story. Reason. It's a really, yeah. It's like, it's a very good, it's just a really good story. And it's a human story. And so if you like theater, this is theater. It just happens. You know, we talked the other day that sports stories don't work that well on stage because there's no field. This is a play about after the playing is over. So it just becomes, sports is the backdrop, but it's a, it's a, a story about two men who are sort of champions that are dissolved by this event. It's also a story about the guy that's the hit king, and then a couple years later, can't get in the Hall of Fame. Yep. Permanent ban. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Now, the first date, according to the website, is September the 6th, and that's a preview day, and the official opening night, September the 7th, which is uh, this upcoming Friday, actually. Whatever special performances happen during this stretch? Well, I hear there's a beer night. The 18th. The September 18th is beer night. I'm thinking that's going to be a night to come. Yeah, but it's before the show. 
And after the show. No, nah, okay, but... But yeah, you're going to have beer before the show. I'm not going to have beer before the show. I'm doing a show. We'll give you a beer after the show because it's beer night. Yeah, okay. What's better than beer night at the <laughs> theater? What does beer night mean, though? You get to drink beer. Well, there's beer on most nights. Is it like cheaper beer? No, this beer? is special beer. Oh, okay. Better beer? <laughs> no, no. I think it's the focus is on beer. Is it cheaper beer? Cheap. We don't know, actually. We're, uh, we're, we're, on, the, we're on stage. Uh, and what Jeff, does beer night Jeff? entail? Yeah. What do they get for coming on beer night? Beer. beer. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we know anything else? Is it like date night or singles night? We, we don't. We're not marketing. So, Chad. Well, this is it, there's it's, op- it's opening opening night. Yeah, we got that, we, dude. Beer night. Is there, but do you get free beer? Free beer. Free beer. Oh my oh, goodness! My Lord. You get free beer. Is there a certain type of beer you get? There's a blonde ale. There's a blonde ale. There, there's a Blondale and then there's a lager. Oh, I of think, course there's a lager. I, I, think, I love lager. I think Toxic people stopped brew. listening after free, free and beer? they went on the website. And they said, and I'm they getting tickets. tickets. Yeah, yeah, because if there's free beer. Yeah, I think we just we might have to have another beer night because yeah. we just Can sold we have the 18th another out. beer night? <laughs> we'll have one just with us. Okay. That's a good idea. Because beer night, so I always think theater's better with a beer. You know, it's <laughs> like you too. get to go to the ball game and not many theaters let you have a drink in the theater. In London they yeah. do. In London, you and so I was in I was in the UK and I and, and in Scotland and they just encourage and you can have ice cream. I said I'm doing that. I'm having ice cream while I'm watching the play. So I had a <laughs> glass of wine and then I had ice cream and I enjoyed. Not I together. Thought, this though. is so great. Why don't we do this in in the in the United States of America? We're about freedom. Why can't we have a beer in the theater? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but beer. Oh, you're not suggesting that they're going to let people with beer. On beer night, go in the theater with the beer, are you? I would suggest that, but I'm not running this theater. That's to, probably not allowed. But, they don't get to do that, right? But, no. Okay. No. Just, just but, so you but know. They can, right. Oh, they can. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you can take beer in from... If you, you can take any during beer... Oh, my Lord. Okay, so what we're learning here is that the Human Race Theater Company in Dayton, Ohio, is oh, more advanced than all the other regional theaters I work at. all. Most. 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 Because they will let you have the beer... In the theater. And the wine. And the wine. And the liquor. Yes. And the Coca-Cola, I'm assuming. Wow. Products, That's amazing. Okay, so that makes it even more palatable. All right. <laughs> our, our host is wondering when he's going to get his podcast back. No, no. It's, <laughs> Beer night, September 18th. That's, I'm looking forward to that. I'm sticking around for that. There's also after, it's a Sunday, I think, where you can talk to the playwright afterwards and talk to everyone. A talk back. Yeah, talk yeah. back. That's what we love. The talk back. We're doing the math now in our heads. The, the September 9th. 9th is the talk back, right? So that's after the two o'clock matinee. Um, you can uh, you can ask all the questions you want to Patricia O'Hara and the cast, and um, and that can Wait, be the fun. cast. Sure. Are there two shows that day? Yeah. Okay. You're we'll just see how much of the cast is going to show. Well, I think Pete Rose will come. <laughs> I'm thinking they'll come. All right. Bart Giamatti's down for that kind of thing, too. The, well, the fantastic uh, Doug McKechnie. I think you're using a different word. Oh. I can't remember how I... I thought it was stupendous or no, amazing. No, fa- fantastic. Is it fantastic? Fantastic, okay. yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Will you be there? And The director? I'll be there. Okay. Yeah. Although they've already heard your point of view. They're done with on me. a lot of things, right. They know I like beer. Lager specifically. Fair enough. Okay. There's a beer night? What? Yeah, yeah. September 18th. <laughs> beer night. Free beer. Oh, my goodness gracious. Free beer. I've never even heard of such a thing. This is fantastic. The last performance is listed for the 23rd of the month. After that, 
Will this be played anywhere else, like Cincinnati, outside Ohio? This is the world premiere. So the Human Race Theater Company is the only theater right now that has the rights to produce this play. After it opens um, and the word gets out, I'm sure it will be happening in other theaters. Maybe Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park will pick it up. Who knows? Maybe it'll go to Broadway. We don't know what the future holds for it right now, but um, I'm thinking it's going to be a success and um, other theaters are going to want to tell this story. Here with director Margaret Perry and Brian Dykstra, the actor that plays Pete Rose, and also you might have heard the voice of Chad Wyckoff, who's the marketing manager. Human Race Theater? Okay, Human Race Theater marketing manager. I'll leave with one more question. Being able to... Brian's got the shakes I know now. a lot of pressure now. <laughs> last question. One last question. Make it good. What is it like being able to take a story that's close to a lot of Reds fans and a lot of fans around Cincinnati and Dayton and being able to express it out here during that time frame? Yeah, it's a hard question to answer because I won't really know until it happens. So I assume that there will be mixed feelings. I think people that feel that Pete Rose is a pariah and should never be in the Hall of Fame will leave feeling the same way, and people who think Bart Giamatti is uh, an awful person will leave feeling the same way. But there may be some room for a little bit of understanding that, oh, they're not monsters, they're human beings with issues. Damn, I disagree. And the director disagrees. This is not our first disagreement, by the way. <laughs> There's some blocking that we're still haggling over. Um, wh- we really? wh- what did you <laughs> For the purposes of humor, yes. <laughs> what, what did you say that I disagree well, to? That was just all very, like, you think no, I went to, minds won't change at all? No, I'm saying if you think he's a pariah, oh, you're not going to go oh, very far. You're if, you're, if you're extreme. If you're sort of if you're, on, if the you're fence, on the extreme, you'll be having a... Ah, yeah. Oh, then, then I don't really disagree. All right, fine. Uh, I, just, I just always hope that, that um, you know, by... You, you were asking the question about what it feels like to tell this story in this, in Red's country. And Brian said, he's not sure we know that yet. And I think I agree with that part of it. I didn't oh, want to say whew. that. I don't agree. But it, it is, um, I think if your heart's in the right place when you're trying to tell a story, then you're telling it as honestly as you can that you just, wait and see how it's received. All you can do is know what your own intentions are in telling the story and see how people react to it. Um, And then go from there. I think we both agree. Maybe I'm not. I'll just speak for myself. I think I agree with myself that... Uh, it's gonna, there's gonna be great conversations in the bar afterwards. When you go see the play, whether you hang out or go with your friends to wherever you go, I think there'll be a lot of discussion and that's sort of a really nice place to leave an audience. Yeah, I agree with that. And the, that, um, when I think about why I do theater, sometimes the, the silly and the, is the silly answer is, for the great conversation in the bar afterwards. Um, and I think if a play in, invites a conversation or sparks a conversation, then the play has done its job. We are not here to provide answers. Um, we're here to start conversations. And I think this play starts a great conversation. I lied. There's one more question. I mean, we're talking I was so about- happy with my finish there. I thought it was, so, I, it was a good, powerful finish. I know, but that, that's my <laughs> fault. I skipped around. That's my fault. <laughs> We can't, I can't ask, I can't not 
ask this question because we're talking about Ban from Baseball and we got the actor that's playing Pete Rose. What's your thoughts on Pete Rose's ban? What's your thought on Pete Rose being in the news past few years, trying to get reinstated and Rob Ramfren's like, no. Uh, I find Pete's actions to be consistent and fascinating. He does seem to find a way to make people mad, the very people that he needs to be on his side. Um, Showing up every year at the hall, setting up that table, sort of, Stealing the spotlight or or redirecting the spotlight is never going to help him. Um, his actions with Selig and Manford just before hearings, things come out that you're just like, wow, that's really bad timing. Um, the more gambling allegations come out just before uh, Manford. And so you're like, well, that's so oddly destructive in a really consistent way how did somebody who got everything out of his athletic prowess or gifts become or or how did you co- how did you coexist with a side of you that's that self-destructive in order to i mean he he has five major league baseball records not just he had, yeah. so so his his career is remarkable in, in in ways that means he didn't ever get in his own way as a player, and now he gets in his own way uh, so consistently that it's it's almost breathtaking. Um, that being said, there's a rule that I mean, there's one cardinal rule in baseball, and we all know what it is. They put it up in every clubhouse. You you bet on baseball, you bet on your own team, you're out, and you're out forever. And yes, it's a it was a reaction to something that happened in 1919, um, but he, you know that rule. So yeah, you now you're talking about addictive personality disorder or an addictive. He's got an addiction. Or let's let's assume he has an addiction to the gambling. He could not not do it, and we don't seem to make room for the sickness of it or the potential sickness of it. We also have a guy that doesn't think he's sick. I mean, you know, addicts only get over things when they hit rock bottom. When you're a guy who can sign your name, you can go to a signing and make ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars, or whatever he makes. There's no way to actually hit rock bottom. So he never has to face the concept, the full consequences of his addiction like most people whose revenue stream dries up. So in answer to your question, I'm all for Pete getting into the Hall of Fame 15 minutes after Shoeless Joe gets in the Hall of Fame. And I and I think that's so well well put that um, that you're not going to say anything. No, I, I do. Okay. But the, that you're talking about, you know, getting in your own way and how we often get in our own way, um, and that Pete's human, and he every time it seems like he might get in, he gets in his own way, and it's and it prevents it. And um, I'm going to bring this back to um, something Patricia O'Hara, the playwright, said to me. Um, and it was sort of her guiding quote as she was writing this piece. And it's a quote by the amazing Oscar Wilde. And the quote is, yet each man kills the thing he loves. That's a great way to end this episode. She knew that. She felt that. And that, I just screwed it up with this comment, didn't I? All right, go ahead. You want to well, have I, a good undercut. Well, I kind of <laughs> no, no, you were right. it myself. <laughs> you so. were right. 
I want to thank both of you for giving me your time. Uh, it's it's been a fascinating episode. Thank you so much. Awesome. Yay. Thanks for having us. And My remember, pleasure. beer night. Beer night. Beer night. There's a beer night. There's a beer September 18th, beer night. And um, can I just say, um, just reminding everybody, get your tickets because I think this is going to sell out. It starts on September 6th. Opening night is September 7th. It runs through the 23rd, Tuesdays through Sundays. HumanRaceTheater.org. Where can you get the tickets? HumanRaceTheater.org. Yeah, or the Google. You'll find it on the Google. But, you know, I really do <laughs> encourage people, um, especially sports fans, to get those tickets because it's, it's going to sell out. It sounds like you're encouraging people to be lazy. Just go to the Google. But, no, write this down, HumanRaceTheater.org. <laughs> oh, brother. Or go on the Google, too. Oh, man. The Google. I love the Google. I love the Google. The book and the book of face. I love the internets. Yeah. The the book of faces. The book of face. This has been director Margaret Perry and actor Brian Dykstra, the actor that's playing Pete Rose and also marketing manager Chad Wyckoff. Thank you all for this opportunity. And this will close out episode 60 of The Gem on the Queen's Crown, the local Sunday sports podcast. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Gem on the Queen's Crown. Closing theme provided by Roy Matz at RoyMatz.com. For every available platform to listen to the podcast, please visit theleewmowen.com slash podcasts. For podcast updates, like the Facebook page, The Gem on the Queen's Crown. On Twitter, follow the podcast at Gem on Queen Crown and the host at The Lee W. Mowen.